Namaste, everyone. So as part of this year's HSC Waves Youth Conference, our keynote panel will be on a very special topic hosted by Rajiv Malhotraji. This year's panel will be covering his new book launch, The Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Power, Five Battlegrounds. So as part of that, we have Rajiv G with us here, as well as three students from HSC. So I'd like to quickly do some introductions before we get started on the panel. Um, so first, Anaga, can you please give us a brief introduction? Namaste, my name is Anaga Hesargata, and I'm a second year student at the University of South Florida, majoring in biomedical sciences. Along with being in the Hindu Students Council, I'm also an intern at the Infinity Foundation. I'm honored to be on this panel addressing AI and the key issues as it relates to our future. We're already facing immense impact of technology on our lives as of today, and there's no doubt that the expansion of technology and its capabilities will have a profound impact on our futures. So once again, I would like to thank Rajivji and HSC and Waves um, for this opportunity. Wonderful. Welcome, Anaga. Um, and hi, Krishna. Namaste. Um, can you share a little bit about yourself? Namaste, and thank you, Rajiv G. Waves and HSC, um, for doing this panel and inviting me to join. My name is Krishna Desai, and I am a current freshman at Rutgers University, and I'm majoring in computer science. Um, I'm also on the HSC eboard there. Um, for this year's WAVE conference, I decided to focus my paper on the Hindu Vedic roots of artificial intelligence and robotics. I actually discuss how AI is conceptually mentioned in our text, such as the Mahabharata, or the yoga vasishtha far before any modern mention of the concepts. Um, I understand that we'll be discussing a lot of topics regarding AI and its impact on youth during this panel. So I'm looking forward to what we covered today. Thank you. Awesome, very apt topic, Krishna, and I'm glad that you're gonna be part of this panel, um, getting a chance to discuss those with Rajivji. And then lastly, Arushi, um, welcome. Could you please share a few words? Namaste everyone, um, I'm Arushi Ramaka and I'm a junior at Montgomery High School in New Jersey and I'm Vice President of the HSC High School Leadership Board where I work with other dedicated Hindu teams to um, establish and run chapters across America and I'm really really honored to be on this panel with Rajuji and thank you to everyone who made this possible, um, especially since um, his book tackles issues which really need to be discussed and as a teenager, I can attest that a large part of our day is spent on social media and entertainment. I'm sure a lot of parents can also agree with that. And um, this does take a lot of mind space. It almost constructs like this virtual reality, which needs to be designed to pull you into that current. So I had been thinking, and I'm sure a lot of people were thinking, how does this affect your psyche as harmless practitioners? So I decided to focus my waves paper on how this could affect Hindu teens specifically. So I did do a survey using a Vedantic lens to assess how it could amplify the Arishadvarkas, Kama, Kroda, Moha, Mana, Matsarim, and Loba in teens. And I'm really excited again to be talking about this with Rajuji, and I look forward to the discussion. Thank you, Arushi. So that brings us to Sri Rajiv Malhotraji. So I'll give a little bit of background on our keynote guest for this year's panel. Uh, Rajivji has a long experience as a Hindu activist scholar in the U.S. as well as across the world. He's the founder of the Infinity Foundation, where he's been doing Indic research in academia and other fields. Some of the key focal points of his work are the interpretation of Dharma for the current times, comparative religion, globalization, and India's contribution to the world. Some of the major works you might know are Academic Hindu Phobia, 
the battle for Sanskrit, being different, breaking India, and the Sanskrit non-translatables. Specifically for this book, Rajivji has a long experience as an AI student and IT entrepreneur since the 1970s, and he's long researched civilizations and their engagement with technology from a historical, social sciences, and mind sciences perspective. So namaste and welcome, Rajivji. Namaste. So Rajivji, um, I guess, why don't we get started by getting a little bit of a sense of introduction about the book? Thank you very much, uh, Arnav and all the other panelists. Uh, yeah, I'm especially interested in youth because it is their future. Uh, AI is the present and the future. It's as fundamental as the Industrial Revolution 200 years ago, uh, which changed the world. Uh, uh, you know, and AI is going to do that much faster. On a, very quickly, it's going to do that. It's starting to do that already. So the youth have to understand this, and I'm not sure the youth presently have understood it. And the fault is not necessarily the youth, but the elders, the, the, the education system, uh, the, the leaders out there in social media who are guiding, including most of our own leaders, don't have a clue about this. Uh, you will find hardly any discussions, panels, hardly any focus. And I think after this book becomes well known, you will begin to see a, suddenly a lot of people talking about AI. Uh, and, uh, uh, now, the specific relationship with Vedic civilization is mentioned in this book. Presently, AI is on a, on a collision course and, and uh, the AI is amplifying the messages that are from Western universalism, not the messages and premises and metaphysics from Vedanta, but Western universalism, which I've described in my book being different, is being amplified through the use of AI, through the use of machine learning, the kinds of algorithms, the kind of values, what it accepts as valid, what it rejects as, you know, incorrect or abusive or, uh, you know, is based on a certain assumption of what the truth is. And, and that assumption of what the truth is, be it metaphysical truth, be it social values, uh, is not based on uh, Vedanta. So there is an issue there. And the irony is that such a large percentage of uh, people in the world who are in AI uh, are Indians uh, working for Western companies, American companies all over the place in senior positions. And yet at the same time, uh, the, the, uh, these very people who are also practicing some form of Hindu dharma uh, have completely uh, ignored connecting the dots. It's very interesting that when I remind them, first the reaction is that, oh, what does it have to do with that? In fact, many of them ask me, why are you writing on this book? What does it have to do with it? Uh, they just don't get it. Uh, so, so clearly, one has to help them connect the dots, that there is a life you have which is as a scholar of Sanskrit or Vedanta or practitioner of Hindu Dharma or something like that. On the other hand, you have a day job where you're doing AI or, or in some way associated with it or interested in it, and you just haven't been able to connect the two. That's what one of the things uh, I'm trying to achieve uh, in this book. So I, I think as we go, the point, the important points will become clearer, but that's just to sort of uh, give you an overall positioning why, why I'm writing this book. Wonderful. And yeah, I think the panelists we have here are um, very apt for discussing some of those topics from kind of the Hindu or the Vedantic perspective. So very excited to see where some of the discussion takes us. So um, let's get started with some of the questions that we've put together. Um, so I guess as a, as a starting point, I'll ask this for Krishna. Um, so in Rajivji's book, he explains a concept called moronization, moronization, which refers to how with AI, we have this concept of instant gratification of information. So I can now go to Google or my phone, just type something up and quickly figure out the answer 
I no longer need to remember things of importance. You know, it, it, it really dumbs down the way that I think about um, what I need to know or like what I can trust my devices to teach me, right? So as the youth, many of us are greatly affected by the pressures to be able to de demonstrate our natural intelligence, especially in comparison to the AI. And a lot of this has to do with our understanding or lack thereof of Hindu Dharma and what's our role in the world. So how do you think AI would affect our understanding of intelligence as it relates to Hindu Dharma? Right, so the presence of AI promotes this idea of alsi, which is essentially laziness, right? When it comes to our schoolwork or even um, doing our basic duty as citizens to read the news, we start learning, we start leaning away from executing our duties and we rely on Siri to tell us about the quadratic formula or we ask Alexa to tell us about the election. So we slowly start practicing Altsi more and more and this provides the sense of instant gratification as Rajiv G mentioned, that's lethal for us humans who love taking the easy way out. And you know, as a result, we don't retain the information that we are seeking nor are we training ourselves to be shista, which means um, disciplined or well-knowledged. Um, so, like, reflecting back upon our dharmic texts, especially the Bhagavad Gita, where Sri Krishna tells Arjun to perform his duties with honor and integrity and to help our generation stray away from this path of Aussie can help, att help us attain, like, a greater sense of achievement and enlightenment. And Arushi, I think your paper also touches a little bit on these concepts as well, especially in the surveys that you've got of students. So do you want to share some thoughts from your end? Um, yeah, sure. And um, kind of going off of Krishna's point, I think uh, the, when you first hear the word modernization, um, I think I will be honest, even people's natural instinct is, I'm not becoming, you know, a moron or like, you know, this is, this should be something good for you, right? But as a lot of Vedantic gurus would say, intelligence is not the same as intellect. So when you're using this, are you focusing your buddhi? Are you actually thinking about um, everything that you are amassing, all this information at your fingertips? And we were, and it was touched upon earlier that this information that AI can give you, especially in regards to Dharma, um, if something is right and something is wrong, well then using AI as an information base for our jobs and our education can severely kind of affect the way we see our identity. For example, in the survey, in the survey, I think 86% of Hindu teens feel like the current media ecosystem, which is um, uses AI, has an incorrect depiction of uh, Hindu dharma and related topics. So I think that AI would affect our understanding of dharma because we have to kind of use a lot of energy and kind of use our inner focus more in order to kind of stay balanced and stay centered in our identity despite having to, having to use AI to be dependent on it for jobs and education. Awesome. Thank you, Rishi. So Rajivji, um, I guess you know, it'd be nice to hear from the author of the book on what your thoughts are on kind of this concept of modernization that you talk about and how it'll affect our idea of intelligence as it relates to Hindu Dharma. Our uh, tradition focuses on the inward path to truth. And, and uh, that means getting closer and closer to my own adhyatma, uh, neti neti to the outside world, uh, not become fixated and habitually addicted to gratifications and sensory delights and distractions. That's what our tradition says. AI's augmented reality and virtual reality and variables uh, and all kinds of uh, ways of uh, you know, gratifying myself and, and whether it's social media telling me who's right, what is right. It's all based on external reference points. 
So the question is, who will have the adhikar? Uh, will it be my traditional guru and uh, guiding me to uh, the inward journey, uh, which is what our tradition says, or will it be, will the Dev, uh, Google be the devata and, uh, and Google, uh, guru will be whoever controls the AI? Uh, that tend, seems to be the case. So the reference points uh, have become uh, Google search, uh, Wikipedia, which is not neutral, by the way, which is quite biased in many ways. Uh, uh, the reference points are whoever controls the social media, whoever controls the algorithms. Those are the reference points. So there's a huge crisis of adhikar. Who, who's the authority uh, away from the traditional adhikar? Because it's not the gurus who are controlling, you know, Google and Facebook. It's other people. So therefore, uh, the 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 loss of adhikar and the transfer of adhikar to other. Uh, uh, sources that are nothing to do with our tradition is a very serious problem. And the, uh, the and uh, we are beginning to rely on them. And the fact that uh, uh, I no longer am encouraged to do the tapasya, uh, go inside, work very hard, learn, study, study the Shastra, uh, because I can get these quick answers uh, is a very serious problem. And then on, on top of it, the whole youth culture in India everywhere, but especially in India is chasing, chasing each other. Uh, so whoever, whoever has got more retweets, you follow them. Uh, you know, some of the very profound things I put up on social media get very little uh, uh, traction and some silly, sensational, uh, somebody's bad, fire this guy, uh, you know, put an FIR on them, some anger at somebody gets lots more. So the quality of uh, interaction, what is capturing the attention of the youth and the type of people who are becoming very famous and the type of content that's very, becoming very famous, it's not about going deep into Dharma. It's more about fighting each other. So for all of those reasons, the, the, the culture is dumbing itself down. The youth are being dumbed down. And I see that as a serious problem. But as we go more into the conversation, I'm sure a lot more will come out. Thank you, Rajivji. And, and one thing you kind of mentioned is some of the biases that exist um, through AI, right? We tend to trust these online sources as maybe neutral or objective, but a lot of the times they might, even if they're driven by artificial intelligence, they have that bias encoded into them. So there's many examples of Hindu phobia all over the internet, not just in social media, but also other sources. So how do you think AI will impact Hindu phobia and how can Hindus reverse the spread of Hindu phobia and instead be using AI to our advantage? You know, Anaga, um, as part of the uh, HSC education and advocacy team, you know, I thought it would be nice to start with you given that you've done a lot of work in Hindu phobia. So, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so when we look at what is the real goal of AI, it's to figure out like how, how do humans really think, how do they act, and how can technology be used to assist in those goals and um, be used to the maximum benefit for the humans, basically. So when it comes to Hindu phobia, like Rajivji was mentioning er earlier, like it's programmed like based on certain training data, which is an algorithms that are controlled by the authority that whoever is using it and you know like the authority like we don't really know like who will be the authority or not and when they're using this training data that they're trying to train these AI models based on it doesn't necessarily always represent the whole population so especially when it's and then when these models are developed in response to those certain bias training data it um, introduces this like sort of Hindu phobia this inherent bias that's present. So for example, like in a study that was done by John Hopkins on AI, um, it was a paper called Language Models Are a Few Shot Learners. 
the AI model was um, taught, like told to learn more about a, a few different religions through surfing through the web and finding certain descriptive keywords. And what they found was keywords like caste, cows, and BJP, which generally have like negative connotation in relation to Hinduism, were the most favored descriptive words for Hinduism. So these sort of like Hindu phobic systems that are used, um, that are they can be used to like spread these Hindu phobic ideals through. Um, the general population as AI becomes more of a commodity. And, you know, like one of the only ways to really counter this would be to be able to control those algorithms ourselves and to change this narrative that the media and various other sources and like Western universalism has put against Hinduphobia or against Hinduism to spread Hinduphobia. Those are some really good points, Anaga, especially like um, when it comes to that John Hopkins study, you know, um, it, it's not as easy to see it for Hindus. I know other groups, especially African-Americans do a very good job bringing that out, um, the type of bias encoded against them when it comes to AI and police technology, right? So um, really good points you bring up. So Rajiv, why don't we go back to you since I know you had some words on this too. Yeah, I think uh, Anaga is right. And uh, 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 her mentor in, uh, in uh, Infinity Foundation, Divya is doing a very good job. She's working for Divya as an intern and I'm very proud of her. Uh, uh, these are points that we discuss a lot. Uh, basically, think of it this way, that uh, these machine, machine learning uh, learns what and echoes back the values. So if it learns, there's something called sentiment analysis. So it's looking for, it's looking at what people are posting, what they're writing, and it's figuring out the sentiments. Uh, and so its idea of what's normal is based on what, uh, what the sentiments are. Uh, so if the sentiments are that caste is bad, then that's the way it, that becomes its value. If somebody says caste is good and that's the dominant view, that becomes its value. Uh, if hijab is good and uh, the, the, picture, the visual analysis, the, the facial recognition of millions and millions of pictures uh, seem to correlate the uh, use of hijab as good people because they're all being praised, then it, it, it codifies that's a good thing. Uh, or if, if it's a different culture where hijab is banned or like in France or something like that, and maybe bikini clad women are considered nice and good, then it considers that to be. So the training database, the big data used to train and define what is correct and what is normal uh, is a very big issue. So if you were to train these algorithms, uh, on uh, a huge amount of Hindu discourse by Hindus themselves, uh, you would get one kind of uh, machine learning. Uh, whereas uh, the, the, the thing that's being done is they are training this on what they consider to be normal, liberal, left-wing discourse, Western discourse. That's how the machines are being trained. And so according to that, the Hindu phobia in that literature is what the machine learns. So it's sort of like you have a child and the child is growing up in the midst of adults that are talking and the child is learning those ideas. So if these, uh, these adults happen to be talking about ideology X, then the child picks that up as normal. And if they were talking about ideology Y, then that would become normal. So we, are, we, are, we must understand that the whole discourse on breaking India and uh, Hindu phobia and so on is being amplified by AI. It's, it's picking up whatever is the dominant discourse and echoing back and amplifying it on a hundredfold bigger scale. This is very serious. 
This is very serious because I found that in my research, I found the Hindus did not know about it. Hindus are not bothered by it. Hindus are not worrying about it. The gurus don't know this. The Hindu activists who are all over the uh, YouTube and who are the darlings of all the Hindus following this one, that one, because they have so many million followers. And each time they go on the air, so many thousand people come, have not talked about it. So they're obsolete. They're obsolete. Hindu activists are obsolete. So it's not the fault of it that the other side is doing it. We are not doing it. We are not doing our job. Even the leaders are not doing our job. So this is a, this is a very important uh, point. Another, uh, another important point is uh, identity manipulation. Uh, when, you, when, you're, when, you're, uh, when you project a certain identity uh, and, and uh, uh, you get banned, you get shadow banned, it, uh, it downgrades how much it will promote your post or your YouTube video because uh, the algorithms determine it to be unsuitable. Whereas some, some other one who plays to what the algorithms want, like search engine algorithm, search engine optimization uh, uh, means experts telling you what the algorithm likes. So as if what the algorithm likes is good and we ought to feed it and we ought to reinforce it further. So this business of I, I hire an SEO expert and he tells me how my algorithm will get ahead by coming up with the right kind of things that make it popular for the algorithm is actually self-defeating in the long run. It's short term, it's good for me because my algorithm comes ahead, but then I'm reinforcing that bias inside the machine. The, the machine has a certain bias. So they'll tell you, don't use this word. It's not good because algorithm don't like it. They'll tell you that. So, you know, what we have this form of intelligence, artificial in, in these algorithms, and they're constantly learning. Uh, they're learning, they're, they're reinforced. This is called reinforced learning also. This is called sentiment analysis. Uh, so there are many kinds of uh, machine learning uh, systems that are out there, but basically they are being fed off of values which are Hindu phobic in many ways. Not, I'm not saying everything is like that, but there is a large component of like that. And there's a large component of breaking India forces. So if, if the algorithm decides that, uh, you know, if you criticize the, uh, uh, the people who fought, uh, who fought against Article 370, that is bad then, you know, that algorithm will start banning a lot of posts. I had messages from Facebook and messages from uh, 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 YouTube. One last week, uh, we put up a message with Indian Army and Artificial Intelligence. Now, there's no reason this should be considered bad, but we got a message from, uh, uh, from YouTube that uh, this, this, this violates some of, their, <laughs> some of their social norms. I don't know why. Uh, so somebody, some intelligence is making these decisions. Uh, there is no transparent due process. I cannot file a petition to somebody. I cannot demand an explanation. It's up to them to decide or not. So I have to suck up to them. This is very abusive. This is sort of like a dictatorship. This is a colonization that is currently going on. So I'm glad that our youth are picking it up and uh, we, we have to fight back. Why don't we, um, Arushi, do you have any words on this? Because I know your paper also touches heavily on this topic um, of Hindu phobia in social media and AI. So do you have any perspectives um, based on the WAVES paper you've written? Based on the WAVES paper that I've written, it seems like, um, so out of the questions, you know, there was a neutral option and the Hindophobia question I asked them was one of the most controversial ones in which it had a high amount of neutral responses. So um, people are just unsure and they're either don't want to admit that there is or they're just not sure. However, I think of the youth I surveyed, of course, um, that sample may have a certain type of Hindus, but about more, a little more than 50% 
agree that um, social media entertainment platforms specifically, which are you know influenced and run by AI, do not have accurate depiction of Hindu culture and advocacy. And those who picked that were more likely to also recognize that mainstream narratives have too much effect in the media and that the lobha or greed of certain corporations or tech giants or whatever also has too much influence on the media. So I think that though the youth definitely are being affected by it, you can see that they're reinforcing a certain body standard or reinforcing a certain type of that followers are good, that you must attach yourself more to that. That, that is causing, unfortunately, you know, mental health issues, for example, 63% of them, 63% of the sample I survey, surveyed, they um, compared their body to a fake standard on social media at least once a week. So that's, you know, troubling because their own preparacy is something that they're questioning, which is a little sad. However, I do, I do see a positive in the fact that more than half of people can identify these three things, the presence of homophobia, the presence of a disproportionately powerful mainstream narrative, and the influence of someone who shouldn't have that much influence. So I do think that um, our youth are able to recognize um, the dangers. It's just more of how can you center yourself and how can you even start that path of self-realization or just following Hindu Dharma despite that. That would need to be the best. Thanks, Arushi. So I think, I think that segues nice into the next kind of um, question for the panel. And this is for you, Krishna. How do you think we should go about shaping those conversations? And specifically, how can we as Hindu youth contribute? I think we as youth definitely are um, impacted by AI significantly from you know, our homework to the news. AI is shaping our perception, understanding of the world. So I think as we move forward and we reflect upon the teachings of the Vedas, starting with, we should start the conversation off with, are we righteously performing our duties as students, as sons or daughters, and as Hindus? And then on a deeper level, are we making a conscious effort to stray away from distractions in the materialistic world? These questions allow us to think about the effect that AI has had on us and the many shortcuts that we take using AI to go about our daily lives. Um, I think we as, we as youth, we often underestimate our potential. We fail to understand that the knowledge and power we behold is, is frankly immeasurable. And with this in mind, I think the youth can definitely awaken during this crazy time. We could help contribute to these conversations by learning more about our dharma and its, its powerful message regarding this idea of inward thinking, specifically dhyan and buddhi, and how we can turn inwards and try to um, like shape our way and make our way through this world with AI. And what, you know, one thing I'd like to add is, um, you know, as president of HSC, I, I see a lot of students that are going into computer science or other fields where the general trajectory is to go into machine learning jobs or go into, um, you know, AI, ML um, are big spaces right now for tech. Data science is very big as well. And so, you know, it's amazing to see Krishna that you're writing a paper on kind of AI and Sanskrit. You know, I don't think a lot of Hindu youth take pride in looking at AI or machine learning or tech topics from a Hindu perspective. Um, we only go through it through kind of, you know, our siloed work job, right? Um, so I think as Rajiv Ji has mentioned earlier in the panel, you know, I, I really want to start seeing more Hindu youth become, you know, thought leaders in the space of AI machine learning and start to kind of assert our identity a little bit more into the value we can bring and not just kind of 
we might be doing HSC work on the side and then have our machine learning or AI jobs on the other side, right? No, we should start integrating those. And I think a lot of students in HSC will benefit from seeing this panel and hopefully reading your work, Krishna, um, once it's published through Waves. So very exciting. And then Rajivji, you know, I, I know you're the one that um, invited us to the panel. So what are the reasons, you know, that you think, I guess, what are some of the next steps you think that youth should be taking when it comes to um, taking a bigger stand in AI? So, you know, just to sort of give everybody the historical perspective, I was asked by the WAVES people to be the keynote speaker for their annual conference. And I, I was so busy with uh, launching this book, uh, I, I, I kept declining it because I've been this, I played this role for many years. I think uh, others should get a chance. And they said, no, no, you have to do it. And I said, I want to talk about AI particularly because I don't want to talk about, you know, they'll talk, ask me to talk about some Hindu phobia of the past and some old book I wrote, Breaking India and all that. I, in fact, I told them that all my work is obsolete with this new book and all the Hindu activists are obsolete. And much of the discourse that HSE has been doing is obsolete. And much of the discourse in all this Hindu uh, you know, social media, the so-called right wing is obsolete because this is a new beginning. It's a new challenge and it's a new frontier and we have to be on, uh, into the future. So then the, what occurred to me is that when they showed me the list of uh, events within waves, the, the youth one captured my imagination. I said, okay, I can do that. That I can do because that, there I can talk about AI. Whereas the older generation, the more typical uh, you know, waves and all these kind of Hindu organizations, they're not too interested in the subject. I want to get them interested. Uh, and they would like me to give the same old talk I've been giving and they'll all clap and feel very happy. But I want innovation. I want new research, new material coming out. So that's why I, I picked this one uh, because I thought the audience here will give up, will, will have a fresh, uh, will be more fresh minds and I can influence them. That's why uh, I decided that uh, I should have this with the youth so we'll move into kind of the last question for the panel um, and we'll point this at all three of our student panelists. So um, Rajiv Ji has mentioned in his book that AI has become remarkably successful at quote unquote hacking our minds. So being a part of a world that must live with AI in the future, how do you think we should go about balancing the effects of AI in our lives? So why don't we start with Krishna? We humans, we're, we're naturally grounded to this world with our materialistic desires and that are propelled by our ego and our emotions. AI, on the other hand, is capable of like executing tax, tasks while being void of any sort of desires. And that's what really sets us apart. The thing is, I don't think it's completely possible to get rid of AI. It is useful in, in certain aspects of, of life. And um, but with the awareness that we have of AI and educating ourselves, while also um, looking inward and you know practicing beyond, um, uh, ensuring that we we execute our duties, I think we can navigate ourselves around it and prevent ourselves from building up a heavy reliance upon AI. Arushi, um, do you have any thoughts? I do, and I'd like to start off with a quote from Swami Vivekananda's Jnana Yoga, where he notes that machines are making things cheap, making progress and evolution, but millions are crushed, and while that one may become rich, millions of humans are being made slaves. So if we were to take that machine as AI, the rich as those who can control this, as Rajaji has been talking about, and um, whole masses of human beings are made slaves, if we take that as human agency, um, and then he ends it with the powerful quote, and this is Maya, 
And I think that when in the book it's mentioned that AI is stroking personalities and weaknesses, it means that these external stimuluses are kind of imbalancing your mind. For example, if you want to pick up your phone for to look at social media, that's gamma. And that's, that gamma starts a cascade of the Arishas Vargas. If you're, you can't find your phone or social media won't open, you become angry, Kroda. You want followers and likes and influence for yourself only, Lopa, greed. Once you get that, you attach your ego, your self-worth to that materialistic life. Well, it's not even material, ironically. It's just something that has been created in the virtual world. Mada, and then of course, you're attached to that moha, jealous of those who have accomplished more than virtual world than you, Matsaryam. So I think that how we should go about balancing the effect of AI in our lives is again, um, Swami Vivekananda works, um, says later, the way is not with Maya, but against it. And as everyone here has been saying, kind of trying to combat that current and being mindful of using social media and AI with full consciousness of not letting it control our actions, but letting the inner um, devices that we have within us to kind of make mindful choices and not be strayed away from our path and dharma. And I think that um, being conscious of turning the gaze inward and recognizing that these are the world is an instrument and not the NLBL is something that could really help the youth. Very nicely, Padarishi. And then uh, let's go to Anaga. Yeah, so kind of like uh, what Krishna and Arshi were saying earlier, like, um, when I heard it, I was thinking of like the commandment that says Ati Sarvatra Vajit. So basically saying that we shouldn't do anything to an extreme and that we should always be mindful like how much and to what extent we should use certain things. Because yes, there is something as going to too far, right? So while AI does have those good things um, in certain aspects, there's also other things that we have to look at. So you always have to make sure that you're not too reliant on it and things like that. So since AI works to like basically seek out how we think and assist us in the best way possible, like it's important to use it for like specific purposes, but it's also important to not become completely reliant on it. So like Arushi and Krishna were saying, like it, it's, it's like hard to just completely eradicate it, but knowing when to stop and like what is the right amount of it um, is the, proper way to go about it. Thank you, Anaga. So Rajivji, um, this concludes our panel. So I'd like to give you the final word before we wrap up. Um, do you have any thoughts on the panel and kind of moving forward and anything at all? I'm glad the uh, panel is coming a long way. We have talked to each of the individuals here on this book before. Uh, we've had uh, private discussions. Uh, they are also uh, being coached by our in-house uh, team uh, with like Divya and other people. And so clearly you can see that I want the viewers to see that the panel is now uh, better informed than say they were six months ago on this matter, better informed than 99% of the youth, our youth today. Uh, so they're ahead of the curve and I'm very glad for that. And I, I, I like that uh, this uh, collaboration between uh, our foundation, Infinity Foundation and the Hindu Student Council in USA is producing this kind of uh, youth who are able to think for themselves. Uh, now my advice is, that uh, the more powerful the temptations externally from AI, uh, the, you know, all the gratifications, all the conveniences, all the improvements it can give, 
the more important it is you need to counterbalance that with your own dhyan, your own meditation, your own being anchored in yourself, your inner anand. Uh, uh, inner anand versus external pleasures. That that is, AI makes that challenge even more serious because AI uh, it ups the ante, makes the external uh, external the carrots it's dangling more exciting. So you you can enjoy them, you can do all that, but don't don't go on autopilot. Don't sort of give up your free agents, free will and agency, and put yourself on autopilot and let let the uh, systems, digital systems, run the show, run your life for you. Tell you what movies to watch, who who you should go out with, what products to buy, what your ideology should be, who your friends should be. Don't let the social media driven by AI algorithms uh, run your life. That is the problem. If you do that, then you're in trouble. If you're in control and, and you are using it for, as a convenience, uh, then it's fine. But the moment it starts using you, driving you around, uh, then, then I think you're in serious trouble. Uh, the worst kind of uh, bias is implicit unconscious. Which, uh, and so a lot of the bias against dharma uh, is actually uh, most of the people working in these AI establishments wouldn't think they're biased. Uh, they don't even know about it. They don't know that unconsciously, implicitly, the algorithm is making choices, preferring certain posts and uh, suppressing certain posts, preferring certain personalities, certain kind of affiliations and not others. So this is, this is uh, uh, a bias which is more dangerous than the one that's intentional and conscious because now the algorithm due to its own independent autonomous learning has figured it out, has become biased. And so it's not as if some human being is pushing the button on purpose, but they've set loose these algorithms and the algorithms are doing all this. So this is a, this is a very new kind of a thing, a new kind of a mechanization of bias, which is, which has got an unconscious and unintentional component. Uh, that's something important to understand. Now, uh, one point that didn't come out is uh, uh, if AI leads to unemployment in a massively overpopulated country like India, undereducated, a lot of unemployment already, some are outright uneducated, some are marginally educated, and AI raises the bar of uh, you know, what kind of brains are needed, uh, what kind of jobs are created, and, and there, are, there is an extenuation of haves and have-nots, more extreme differences between haves and have-nots. That's going to happen, just like the Industrial Revolution did that. Some countries became colonizers like Britain, and some countries became colonized like India. So uh, this haves versus have-nots between countries, also within the same country, uh, within the same uh, population in a, in a community, some people will go up much higher, others will not uh, be able to make their ends meet, and they'll have to be on social welfare. This huge social disruption because of the economic issues that it will create will be a field day for breaking India forces. So think about it. Think about the fact that there are 60, 70 million migrant workers in India. These are poor villagers who come to urban areas and work in domestic, as domestic uh, servants or maids or truck or drivers, or they work in factories and they send all their remittances home. And uh, I have some such people working in my mother's house in Delhi, and I'm very concerned about them. I'm very, we're very good. We're very close. I'm always careful. I always try to understand what's going on in their homes. I would say on an average, a migrant worker is supporting two, three or four family members back home. So if there are 60 million migrant workers, multiply that by three or four, and that tells you what a large population of poor people in villages 
are making their ends meet because of they have a relative in Delhi or they have some relative in Mumbai who is sending them money. And if it weren't for that, and what will happen to these migrant jobs? What will happen to them? Nobody has taken a look at the impact of AI at the bottom of the pyramid. All the economic reports in India on, on the impact of AI, rosy pictures are done by McKinsey and Pricewaterhouse and Ernst & Young and or, or, you know, World Economic Forum and FICI and NASCOM. These are representing the big corporate view. The big corporates of India hire less than 10% of the total workforce of India, less than 10 I'm told even less than 5%. The rest of the people are self-employed, small business, medium business, some street vendors, some people like that. So the 90% who are not corporate workers, they have not been considered and studied as part of these, these reports on the impact of AI, the social impact of AI. That's what I'm doing. I'm looking at a bottom-up view saying that if the grassroots, if the local village panchayat has not been uh, uh, you know, included and consulted. If there is no state by state, industry by industry, district by district evaluation of how AI will impact the economy uh, in each each and every job category and each and every strata. If that is not being done, my concern is the bottom 500 million people are at risk in India, and that will create such huge chaos. It will be a field day for breaking India forces. That's exactly the kind of calamity that they thrive on. Whether it is Marxist, Maoist, Islamist, evangelist, all kinds of breaking India forces, when there is a problem, it's their opportunity to go and convert these people, to win them over to another point of view, to make them hate the nation as a cause of all their problems. So the calamities, the social unrest and disruptions will actually be what I'm calling BI 2.0, breaking India 2.0. So this breaking India 2.0 is on the horizon. It, and, and the people in India, the, the captains of the ship have not paid attention to it. They have, they have been too busy in fighting elections, in their politics, in petty rivalries with each other. You look at the topics of discussion. You look at the topics of discussion in a typical week in India on the social media, on whatever, whatever goes on. What are they talking about? It's, none, of this, none of this comes out. If they're not talking about the real strategic issues and the real deep issues that need to be solved, the, the, they're talking about day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, sensationalism, uh, some scandal, uh, <laughs> a little petty fighting here and there. So I, I feel that India is in trouble because the, the so-called thought leaders are themselves irresponsible. The so-called public intellectuals are not that well informed. And this is true, whether it is government, whether it's politicians of all kinds, all parties, whether it is your social media, uh, you know, uh, icons, uh, whether it is your, your uh, academics, uh, industrialists, everybody is out in their own little cocoon. And here is a gigantic tsunami coming our way. Where, where are the Indians, Indian leaders? Are we asleep? And so the purpose of this book is to wake up and shake up. So I thank you for participating and I hope uh, you will continue reading this book and continue spreading this message even further. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Rajivji. Um, and you've definitely woken us up, I think. Um, there's not a lot of people talking about this from the Hindu or um, how, it's gonna, you know, how AI is gonna affect Hindu society. So I think this work is gonna be very groundbreaking as all your works are and uh, opening up a lot of eyes for people. And I, I think this panel, um, especially, will get to a lot of HSC students and folks at, at the youth level that are watching this that might be interested in Hindu top, topics, but not realize the importance that AI is going to have over the next generation. So 
thank you once again, um, Rajiv Ji, for being part of this panel with us. Thank you to all the panelists for you, you know, um, being here with us and giving your thoughts uh, based on your papers and doing all the great work that you're doing. Um, and lastly, thank you to WAVES and HSE for hosting uh, the, the WAVES HSE Youth Conference and having this keynote as part of it. I know it's been a great experience. Um, it's always a delight to be here with you, Rajiv Ji. So um, thank you, everyone.